Welcome to Justice Today, the official podcast of the Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs, or OJP, where we shine a light on cutting-edge research and practices and offer an in-depth look at what we're doing to meet the biggest public safety challenges of our time. Join us as we explore how funding, science, and technology help us achieve strong communities. I'm your host, Karen Friedman. I'm the Director of Criminal Justice Innovation, Development, and Engagement at OJP's Bureau of Justice Assistance, otherwise known as BJA. When Marlon Chamberlain left federal prison more than 10 years ago, he thought he had paid his debt to society. But today, after 10 years as a law-abiding and successful husband, father, and political advocate, he says he still is paying interest on that debt. Shortly after he re-entered society, Chamberlain says, he was shocked to find out that there were many aspects of his daily life he still did not control. He encountered tons, hundreds of laws that impose hundreds of restrictions on the activities of formerly incarcerated individuals. Even now, because of these laws, there are jobs that Chamberlain cannot hold, things he cannot do, and even places he cannot go. Many of these laws, he says, seem arbitrary and deeply unfair. And because they never go away, they amount to a kind of perpetual interest charge that continues long after a person's debt should have been paid in full. Chamberlain believes this system not only exploits formerly incarcerated people, but causes unintended consequences that put the general public at risk. And as campaign manager for an Illinois-based organization called Fully Free, he is working to wipe these laws off the books. Marlon Chamberlain is here with us today to discuss his life and his cause. Marlon, thank you so much for joining me here today on Justice Today. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for the invitation, and it's nice to be able to have this conversation about such an important issue. It really is. The minute I heard you speak when I was in Chicago, I'm like, I need to have this guy on my, on my podcast. Um, I, I found you so engaging and so on point, so I'm really excited to have um, this conversation. Same here. So as listeners to the, this podcast know, and as, as you know, I'm a former judge. And in the criminal justice system, we often use the phrase collateral consequences to describe the many legal restrictions that formerly incarcerated people have to navigate. But you and your organization came up with a very different term. And actually, when I heard it for the first time, I was like, like mind blown. It just so, you know, says it all. Um, and you call them permanent punishment laws. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd love for you to explain to our listeners what you mean by that. So the, the reason why we decided to call them permanent punishments and not collateral consequences is because collateral implies that these laws were sim simply an afterthought or even accidental, when in fact we know that they were intentionally drafted to target people with records. And I think as a result of this, we've seen a national problem with, with national consequences. And so we decided to call them for what they are, lifetime sentences, which is you're permanently punished. Yeah, that was like a mic drop moment for me when you said it. Seriously, I was just like, 
you know, because as a judge, and actually I was the expungement judge in Baltimore, and, you know, every state has its own laws. And, you know, individuals would come in front of me, and some of them were even further out from their incarceration than you, 30, 40, 50 years, and, you know, doing great things in the community, and, you know, and, and then couldn't, there were still hurdles that they couldn't get over because of their convictions. And if I couldn't expunge that, those, you know, those convictions for them, and as we all know, there are very limited ways to expunge convictions, they were really straddled and, 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 and bogged down with these, uh, these, these kind of side effects almost of their original conviction. So it was very frustrating to to see individuals and hear their frustration um, and their just disbelief that after 30, 40, 50 years of doing the right thing, they were still having to answer for something that they had done sometimes when they were 20 years old. Um, so I, you know, it, I, I, I saw that frustration firsthand and I definitely saw it and felt it when we had our initial conversation. Now, your organization, Fully Free, is based in Chicago and has published a report listing hundreds mm -hmm. of laws in the state of Illinois that you describe as permanent punishments. Mm -hmm. Could you describe some of them and tell our listeners how they constrain the lives of formerly incarcerated individuals? Yeah, I, I want to go back for one second and, and really sort of define like, like how we define permanent punishments as well. Mm -hmm. Because it's almost like it's almost like transitioning from one set of physical bars that you can sort of feel and see to these invisible bars that we've called permanent punishments. And what they really are is this prison after prison. And the Fully Free campaign defines them as legal statutory barriers that deny or restrict strict rights and opportunities for people with arrest or conviction records long after their sentence has been served. And so some of the examples that we sort of discovered in our research is that as it pertains to, let's just use civic engagement, it, it limits in Illinois, uh, people are eligible to vote as soon as they walk out of a carceral system, but it limits your ability to, to be involved civically. Uh, an example, we can't, people with felony convictions can't join local school councils or gaming boards. Um, we can't be a library trustee. We can't run for municipal office as an older person. And these are positions of power that ultimately determine the resources that are allocated in our communities. Um, other examples, I mean, employment opportunities run the gamut in, in Illinois specifically, um, whether there are lifetime bans or if there's a, a, a time response to it. Um, or even another example is you may be eligible for a certain employment opportunity, but not be eligible for the actual license that you need to assume the employment opportunity. Uh, and then the some of the ones that we found that were that were almost just absurd is we we also learned that we uh, a person with a felony conviction can't be on the premises of a bingo game. Wow, bingo. <laughs> Okay. Bingo. We can't play bingo. <laughs> we we are prohibited. Maybe that actually was a gift they were giving you, Marlon. <laughs> maybe maybe so. 
Yeah, we we were even just trying to we were trying to figure out like how do you even hold someone accountable? Like if I'm winning the bingo game <laughs> and somebody's upset, then they could say I'm going to tell old Marlon because he should be here. Right, but, right. Uh, we also we also we also learned that we can't own falconry birds. So I mean the the as far as like how broad these permanent punishments actually are, like they there's a full spectrum of how they impact people. And and again, I just want to just reinforce that these are people who have completed mm-hmm. their sentence and their home. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really unbelievable. And I'm sure some of our listeners mouths are agape right now because they never even knew any of this and it is it is real it is real all right so marlon i know that there is that this is a a deeply personal issue for you um and you know and, and difficult to talk about but i would love if you were willing if you could please tell us how you came to be incarcerated and you could you tell us also how these permanent punishment laws have affected you. I understand that you encountered one particularly difficult situation after the death of your father. Yeah. So what led to my incarceration, um, this was way back when, when I was a, a, a lot younger, but at the time my girlfriend was pregnant with my oldest son now. And at the time I was scared, like a, a normal teenager. And I sought out advice uh, as to what I should do so that I could position myself to provide for my for my son. And at the time, my father, I went seeking advice from my father and my father basically told me to leave the young lady and to just completely forget about my son. And I ignored that advice. And so I ended up, you know, I started hustling and selling drugs, which ultimately led to my incarceration. And a part of the internal work that I had to do like just on myself was I had to forgive my father and learn to accept and love him for who he was, which is my dad. And what that did, even as I was released, it gave me an opportunity to to really look at my father differently and give him an opportunity to show me something different. And so when when I when I think about like how this has has sort of personally impacted me, my father, February 21, February of 2021, passed away and appointed me the executor over his estate. And me and my father had began to rebuild our relationship. And ultimately, I saw this as an opportunity to, to carry out my father's last wishes. But because of Illinois law, which prohibits anyone with a felony conviction from carrying out or being the executor or administrator over an estate, I was unable to do this. And so that hurt. That hurt knowing that I had I had rebuilt this relationship. I had forgiven my father and I had allowed him to show me something different. And we started building a healthy relationship. And then this happens. And now I can't wow. carry out his last wishes. Wow. That must have been exceptionally painful. It was. And frustrating. Yeah, it was. Um, now, I know you and your organization, Fully Free, has been lobbying the Illinois state legislature to eliminate this particular law for several years now. Um, so far, it's it's been an uphill battle. Um, where has the opposition come from, and what are some of the objections that you've encountered? So initially, a lot of our opposition was just the pandemic, like the fact that we couldn't actually go to the state capitol to actually talk to legislators face to face was 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 a challenge. Right. Uh, but some of the some of the opposition that we've heard has really been specifically just with legislators and individual just 
uh, legislators sort of voicing their concerns around people who have uh, financial crimes, people who have estate fraud mm-hmm. or crimes against the elderly. Those are some of the concerns that we've heard from from legislators. But actually, we haven't really received any institutional opposition. It's been specifically with just individual legislators. I'm not I'm not arguing for permanent punishment laws for you know theft charges or embezzlement or anything like that. That's not the point of what I'm trying to say. But then at least I could see a logical argument, right? I I could hear the argument, and um, you know I I, I so strongly believe, and I, as you do, that in this country we have to talk the talk and walk the walk. So if we're going to talk about second chances and talk about rehabilitation and, and you know, talk about trying to um, successfully reintegrate people back into the community, right? We have to also walk the walk. And the walk is not, you know, not only initially helping people when they're coming out with housing and jobs, et cetera, which is a tremendous passion of mine, but it's continuing to, to walk that walk of eliminating these kind of barriers that you're talking about. Absolutely. Marlon, with your organization fully free and um, on this campaign, what would you like this campaign to accomplish? Would you like to eliminate all laws that impose restrictions on people who have a criminal record? Are there any restrictions that you think are appropriate? What's so your position? The- the, the goal of the Fully Free campaign is to eliminate all statutes that, that create these permanent punishment laws. And the Fully Free campaign was really inspired by our working coalition of men and women that are formerly incarcerated, who each legislative session, we would introduce a bill each year to eliminate one specific permanent punishment law. And even though we had much success, we, we also realized that we would be doing this work for the rest of our lives if we really wanted to eliminate all of these different statutes. And so what we did was we analyzed every statute in Illinois that creates a permanent punishment law. And the goal for us is to eliminate, is to introduce wholesale packages that would eliminate a number of permanent punishments at one time. But the goal is to eliminate all of these specific laws. And the reason why is the North Star of this campaign is a criminal record shouldn't follow anyone for life. And if a person has completed their time, probation, parole, or whatever stipulations that they need to create, that person should be able to move forward in life. Right. I hear. Um, now, I know that you have expressed that perma- that these permanent punishment laws pose a threat to the general public safety because they unintentionally encourage people with criminal convictions to reoffend. Could you explain that? Could you tell me why you feel that way? So it it puts people in this sort of precarious like place of I, I have a limited amount of opportunities, but I also have a family that I need to provide for. And in no way am I encouraging or saying that it's okay for folks to choose to commit any crimes. I'm not saying that, but I think 
how we sort of position people is we really set people up for failure. Yeah. Because in most cases, yeah. people are returning back to communities that have a limited amount of opportunities. Correct. And then you have these like these lifetime statutory barriers that follow people for life. And so it's almost like we put people in positions where we we put them in a position where ultimately they make bad decisions because they're trying to survive. Right. That's true of the entire reentry system. Right. It's true of, you know, the way we reenter and reintegrate people into the community in general. Right. Because if we're not taking care of the underlying conditions yep. that led someone to the, the life that they were in before they were imprisoned, the, when they come out and they're going back to the same neighborhoods and none of those underlying issues, whether it's the men, a mental health issue, a drug, uh, you know, drug issue, a homelessness issue, a lack of education issue, a lack of job issue. If any of those, you know, issues are, are they're not addressed, then the likelihood of successful reentry is very, very small, right? You've noted that there are more than 3 million people with criminal convictions in Illinois alone. Could you describe the impact these permanent punishment laws have not only on them, but the communities that they live in? Absolutely. So I would look at and I would use myself as an example. So when you limit a person's opportunity to to provide for his family, ultimately it impacts everyone. So the children of the men and women that are sort of suffering from this lifetime punishment, like it impacts our, our children because we're not able to, to really thrive to, to provide for our children. It also, uh, a good mentor of mine, he uses this analogy of like, ultimately, like if we don't give people the opportunity to add to the tax base, then ultimately they become a burden to taxpayers. So if folks continue to go in and out the system, who pays for that? The community. And so ultimately it hurts the families because we're not able to, folks are not able to provide to families. And then also when you think about communities and the revenue that mm -hmm. when people begin to thrive, it feeds your community. So right. ultimately, like financially, it hinders our communities from being able to grow. It impacts the family on a local level because I can't provide for my family. And then ultimately it becomes a, a burden because now when folks trickle in and out of the system, taxpayers pay for it. Right. And I think that's so important, Marlon. I think what's so important is to be able to make these arguments to people and legislators on different levels, right? So you, you and I, okay, because we, you know, we've been touched by the system in different ways, obviously, but we've both been touched by the system. So we feel it in our hearts, right? Um, you feel it in your heart because it personally touched you. I feel it in my heart because I meet the individuals who it affects and I, I see the effect it has on them and I see, you know, the disappointment in their eyes and, um, and the frustration. Um, so we feel it in our hearts. There are going to be people who are never going to get it that way. So we have to be able to make clear the argument of, hey, even if you don't feel this in your heart, you're going to feel this in your pocketbook. And a lot of people understand that argument, right? Because at the end of the day, there are multiple reasons why this is such an issue. Um, so, you know, we, we hope to be able to, to reach everyone. Um, and you just have to know how to reach different people with different arguments. Absolutely. Everybody. Well, anyway, Marlon.
Now, I was going to say, everybody wins. When you create opportunities for people to thrive, everybody wins. So, Marlon, you've been out uh, for more than 10 years, and you have accomplished so much on every level. What do you think it was about your re-entry and your reintegration into the community that made your process so successful and that elevated you to the high level that you're at today? So I would definitely say the sort of situation that changed my life was in March 31st, 2006, uh, my auntie drove three hours from Chicago to Milan, Michigan, the, the federal correctional institute where I was serving my 20 year sentence. Uh, and she told me in the visiting room that my mother had suffered a heart attack and passed away. Mm. And I thought about in that moment, I thought about how a month prior I sat in the same visiting room comforting my mother because she blamed herself for me being in prison. Oh, and wow. so in that in, in that moment, I I just I knew that I couldn't go back to living a criminal lifestyle. And so even while I was incarcerated, I started doing whatever I could to prepare myself for my release. And I was highly motivated because I still, in a sense now, like I want my mother to be proud of me. And I believe that she's looking down at me. And so that's what drives me. But ultimately, it was that moment where I knew, like, I'm not coming back to this. I'm sure she is looking down and is super proud of everything that you have accomplished. Um, well, Marlon Chamberlain, um, I really, really appreciate you taking this time today to discuss this important subject and share your experience with us. Thank you for being here. You have to know that you have made such an impression on my life. Um, I tell everyone about our conversation, and I've totally, totally been stealing your permanent uh, punishment laws. Uh, so just just know that. Be like, there's some there's some lady in D.C. using your terminate. It's me. Um, just know it's me. Um, and uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing and for joining us today on Justice Today. Thank you. Justice Today is the official podcast of the Office of Justice Programs.